our beer of the week this week, it's a dealer's choice. Pick your poison. Because like this division, outside of the Jags, it can really go any way you want. This is episode seven of Perfect Takes. I'm your host, Stephen Patton, joined by my co-host and friend, Jacob LaCroix. We'll be breaking down, if you haven't picked up already, on the AFC South today. And we have a lot to get into, not a lot to talk about with a division that is devoid of a lot of talent across all four rosters. But how about we kick it off with the Houston Texans? New quarterback, new coach in the building. Indeed, new quarterback, new coach. And they're going to be the first team from this division that we see this year. I believe we play them in week eight. It'll be a nice matchup between the number one overall pick in Bryce Young and the number two overall pick in C.J. Stroud. Absolutely. Now, before we dive into Stroud and who he is as a quarterback, I want to talk about the guy they brought in to be head coach. D'Amico Ryans was drafted by the Texans in 2006 as an inside linebacker. Believe it or not, during Ryan's six-year stint with the Texans, he crossed paths with Kyle Shanahan, who worked on the offensive staff for the Texans from 2006 to 2009, meaning these two practiced against each other for years prior to working together in San Francisco. Fast forward to 2023, D'Amico Ryans leaves Kyle Shanahan's staff to become the new head coach for the Houston Texans. Just kind of funny how some of these things play out. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the new head coaches these days have some sort of tie to Mike or Kyle Shanahan. And when it comes to D'Amico Ryans, I think he was probably the number one head coaching candidate this cycle. So I think the Texans definitely got a good one to lead their team into the future. Uh, But back to the other big addition the Texans brought in. Stroud should be the day one starter, even though I haven't seen the team formally announce it yet. You know, we have announced Bryce like a month ago. Uh, Anthony Richardson got announced, I think, last week. Yeah, but he'll, he'll he'll be the day one starter for sure. I think he's the perfect pick to run kind of a Shanahan style system, and that's something he excelled at uh, during his time at Ohio State. Just uh, pitch and catch, running the perfect system. So he has some experience in doing that. Stroud's exactly who he was in college. A lot of people are making assumptions based off what they've seen at the combine and then some of these preseason games, but he's the same, same exact dude, a very accurate quarterback who struggles to read defenses. In my opinion, he's golf 2.0 coming out of Ohio state. What I loved about that uh, more recent preseason game against the dolphins is we saw a lot of motion and play action bootlegs dialed up by the offensive coordinator, Bobby Slowick. True, true staples from the Shanahan offense, if you will. And this will help give Stroud easy buttons to work with in structure over his rookie season. I think Goff may be kind of an insult uh, to some Texans fans and some football fans in general. But don't forget, he was the number one pick in his uh, draft class for a reason. He was a very good processor. He got the ball where it needed to be. And Stroud has some similarities there. I do like what the Texans have done around him uh, with the O-line investment the past few seasons to kind of protect Stroud this upcoming year. They have Laramie Tunsil, who at worst is probably the third best left tackle. And at his best, he's the best in the league. He just got an extension this year, too. So he's there for the long haul. Uh, He negotiated uh, by himself, by the way. So good deal for him. They drafted Kenyon Green. uh, Yeah, last year in the first round. I was super high on him. I thought he was the number two interior guy behind Tyler Linderbaum. They drafted Juice Scruggs uh, in the second round this year, the center out of Penn State. 
They traded for Shaq Mason, who's been in the league a long time, to play right guard. And then they drafted Titus Howard a couple of years ago in the first round as well. So just a lot of uh, high draft investment or trading for good veterans on that O-line. So good unit all around. And then the wide receiver room, it's not the best. I think it's kind of similar to our wide receiver room in a way. Uh, they have a consummate vet in Robert Woods. And then kind of a lot of question marks after that. Per, I, you know I'm a big fan of John Mechie. I'm glad that you he's – Alabama. He's, yeah, he's playing football again uh, this year after dealing with some health stuff last year. And I'm also a big fan of Nico Collins. He's been my uh, my fantasy football practice squad kind of guy. He's a guy I draft, and then I'll get a waiver, end up dropping him, but then I'll pick him back up for the week to keep him on my team. Just a guy that uh, I'm hoping he'll break out, and now that he has an actual franchise, hopeful franchise QB, throwing him the ball, hopefully he can be that breakout guy this year. There's a lot to love about Nico's game. And during that Dolphins game that I've already talked about, Stroud was targeting Nico Collins, Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz. And all of those guys are at least six foot two. So I could see Stroud relying on these bigger pass catchers as he adjusts the speed of the NFL. I also think this coaching staff expects the wide receivers, like you were saying, they bring in Robert Woods to be effective in the run game. Be, be impactful blockers. So maybe not a lot of top-end talent overall when you look at the offense outside of like Laramie Tunsil, a lot of mess starters on the O-line for wide receivers, but it gives you versatility, which then opens up the playbook, which I think is what they were going for this offseason. Absolutely. They brought in a lot of uh, good role players and veterans that know how to do their job, and I think that's going to make it easy for the young guys on offense. And they kind of did the same thing on defense, brought in a lot of good role players and vets. And then they also spent a very high pick, the pick right after Stroud, in fact, for their cornerstone piece on defense in Will Anderson from Alabama as well. I don't think his contribution can be understated. I think he's one of the best college football players I've ever seen, like all bias aside, one of the best edge rushers that's been in college football for quite some time. And I think he's immediately going to fit into the Texans defense. You know, they draft a, an Alabama outside backer pretty high, and now they're coached by one too. So it should be a seamless fit. A little, little bit different on the skill position players. D'Amico Ryans was more kind of the uh, Mike. Uh, he played yeah. inside linebacker. And then, yeah, you do have Will Anderson, who's a phenomenal edge rusher. He's He is legitimately the real deal, and I think would have gone first overall to the Jaguars over Trayvon Walker in last year's draft. And so there is definitely no question about who he is as a prospect and player. What I think happened is that D'Amico Ryans was a little bit of a sucker. And what I mean by that is you, you take Stroud, number two overall, and then you trade back up to three the draft Will Anderson from his alma mater. They both went to Alabama. So a, a theme you're kind of sensing with the Houston Texans. So they give the Cardinals picks 12 and 33, and then they give them a first and a third next year. Depending on how this year's edge class pans out on who's a hit and who's not, the Texans could have grabbed a player like Miles Murphy or Nolan Smith to kind of fit their 4-3 system at 12. And I'm, I'm not saying those guys are better than Will Anderson. I'm not saying that what they did was necessarily wrong. I'm just saying that you could grab a guy like that and then turn around at 33 and you're selecting a Derek Hall and B.J. Ojolari. So you already have a thin edge group in Houston and the fact that you didn't throw a lot of darts at the board and you gave up so much for this guy, he has to be a transcendent player to justify this trade. So there really isn't any 
room or margin for error. So if he he gets an injury and he regresses a little bit like Chase Young did over the past couple of years, all of a sudden what you gave up for him wasn't worth it. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be a phenomenal player. But like you said, maybe the value wasn't there in trading what, four picks away to go back up to three from uh, pick 12, which I believe exactly. was part of the uh, trade with Cleveland as well. And mm-hmm. I think that's their last pick from that trade. They, they might have so. one, like a later one next year, but I think that's the last early pick that they have from Cleveland. Uh, and to spend, so to spend it on Will Anderson, he does kind of need to turn out pretty good. And I think he will. But uh, along the rest of their defense, another theme we're noticing here with the Texans, they have brought in quite a few vets to pair with the young guys they've invested in. So like the second unit, they drafted Christian Harris last year, Alabama guy. Uh, he had some injuries, didn't play much his rookie year. They draft Henry Toa this year, another Alabama guy. But then they bring in Denzel Perryman, you know, pretty good pro. He had a Pro Bowl year, I think, two years ago with the Raiders tackling machine. They bring in Corey Littleton, uh, former Panther last year, decent depth. And then on the back end, they draft Derek Stingley super high last year. I believe he went third over, overall. Over Sauce Gardner. Over so Sauce. It's kind of that J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan dialogue. That's the same thing that's kind of happening in Houston this offseason. Absolutely. I, I think Stingley does have uh, the traits and the measurables. He just needs to get back to that superstar season he had his freshman year at LSU and continue to grow from there. Then they also drafted Jalen Petrie in the second round. He's kind of the safety nickel guy out of Baylor. He had a really good rookie year as well. He did. They he looked really solid. Yeah, and then they have guys like Desmond King, Steven Nelson, and they bring in Jimmy Ward following D'Amico to Houston this year. So they have a good mix of young talent as well as veterans on that defense. And I think that having those vets there, those role players there, is really going to help these these younger guys really – be able to play their brand of football, like just focus on their role, and that's going to help them become better players overall. Definitely a solid group on the back end. Uh, want to second what you said. I know a lot of people are talking about the Sauce Gardner, Stingley, and but what you said, Stingley and Petre paired with Ward, who knows Ryan's system already. You have exactly what you were talking about earlier in there, two younger guys paired with a vet. And so that seems to be kind of the movement. You have a lot of young pieces all over this roster. You have some key veterans and some good places. But the biggest thing is when you look up and down the roster, it's, just, it's meh. There's no no big needle movers, if you, you, you will. And the coaching staff can have this team playing in structure. They could be a sneaky team. They could win a few games that nobody really saw coming and finish second in the division. I just, I don't think they have enough talent right now to put them over the top against a team like the Jaguars or even the Titans. Yeah, I have to agree. I think for now, the team, it's not a great team. I don't think that's a, uh, a mystery by any means, but I think what's important is that the team has kind of laid the foundations for the future. They have a good mix of young players and vets, and they have the good young players at important positions like Stroud, quarterback, uh, Anderson, edge rusher, Stingley, corner. They The pieces are there. They just need to kind of bring them along and develop them and uh, hopefully grow and be a good team in this division. I think the big, uh, the, the big discourse if things don't work out this year and maybe next year is going to be that Will Anderson trade and if it was worth it. If this team is bad, which I don't think they're going to be good by any stretch of the means and if they end up finishing maybe fifth or sixth worst 
they're going to be sending that pick to Arizona, who we think is also going to be one of the bottom five to 10 teams. And that pick's going to be in a projected better draft class than this past year's and in a uh, quarterback heavy one too, where you can extract a pretty big ransom for picks like that. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Will Anderson trade works out in the future. But for now, like I said, and like you said, I just don't see it with this team this year. Another team with a new head coach and a new quarterback within this same division are the Indianapolis Colts. And we play them the week after we play the Texans in week nine. It'll be, I think, the first game we play in November. How do you feel about Anthony Richardson? Yeah, you're starting to see a theme in this division, right? New QBs, new coaches. It's all throughout the division except for one team. And with Richardson, I mean, he's just the best athlete QB ever, right? I think that's a perfect way to describe him. I I think his relative athletic score would definitely support that. Guy has a cannon for an arm. It's a good processor um, based on the limited snaps he has played. And because of that inexperience, he can be inaccurate at times. Uh, your comp for him back I want to say it was shortly after the college football season or even during it was like, hey, this guy's kind of like Cam Newton 2.0 from a physical standpoint, which is a lot of praise for a guy that was still in college. But he backed it up at the Combine with kind of what I was alluding to earlier, the highest relative athletic score ever recorded. He, he hit the 10.0. He supplanted Cam Newton there and he showed why he was the top five pick. And the first preseason game we saw Richardson turn a bad play into a disaster with his first interception though and that's one thing that's going to be worrisome in this first year is can he limit some of the mistakes so that what you see are is those those big play abilities with his physical skill set especially when you've seen how Shane Steichen has worked with Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert recently and so it's like you have a big strong mobile quarterback can Steichen get the most out of him while limiting his mistakes I think the thing with Richardson and all the talk about uh, he's not ready, he needs to sit for a year or whatever, I think he he has the traits to be ready. Like We can see that he's not a horrendous processor by any means. I think it's just the fact that he's only started for one season in college, and that wasn't his fault, let's be clear. That was Dan Mullen's fault at Florida. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even want to get into that. He just starting and playing people he wasn't supposed to and and if but, he had had two years of starting i think this past year would have looked so much better at florida because he would have had a little bit underneath them in terms of just snaps and that's what you need you yeah. just need repetition at that position absolutely it's, it's all about experience right in college like a lot of one-year starters don't get drafted that high uh, uh i don't think any have been drafted that high but uh he has the tools he has everything it takes his pocket feel is incredible uh, he's like we've talked about, he's a great athlete, cannon for an arm. And especially the pairing, what really intrigues me is the pairing with Shane Steichen going into this year. We've, we've seen Steichen get the most out of Herbert, like you said. He's uh, he's helped Jalen Hurts take the huge leap. Hurts was an MVP candidate last year. He won. And Richardson has more like better athletic traits than both of those guys. Uh, and if he can really get it to work, if he can – if he can get what he had out of Hurts, but uh, maybe just a little bit more based on his athletic traits, that's a superstar at QB. It just might take some time for Richardson to hone those skills because he doesn't have the reps that those other guys have had. That To me, that's the big question. I think he's ready to play, and obviously the Colts agree. It's just the first few weeks might be rough because he hasn't played quarterback, and like he hasn't started 
that often compared to a lot of other quarterbacks that come into the league. But uh, I think he's going to be really good for the future if Steichen can get the most out of him. The big uh, question mark on offense to me concerning the news last night, we're recording on Tuesday, is uh, what like who are the other uh, skill position players on offense? Because I, I went into this season thinking, man, Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor is going to be the nastiest uh, zone read combo in the league. It and would now, be. yeah, it, it would be, right? But now the Colts have allowed uh, Taylor to seek a trade this offseason. And now that's kind of in flux. I'm not huge on a lot of their other skill position guys. I did like Josh Downs, but I'm not sure how early he'll play. And uh, it's all up in the air uh, on offense for me now. I mean, Josh Downs, I think he got drafted and they also brought in Isaiah McKenzie. And it was kind of that idea is that Isaiah McKenzie was a bridge for Josh Downs. Like learn how to play the position from the guy that you're probably comp to from like a position standpoint and even size standpoint. So uh, JT, like you said, once out of Indy, he's been granted access to seek a trade. If he's not here in this offense, you're really hoping the offensive line backs uh, bounces bounces back after the forgettable season last year. And that Richardson's mobility and ability to evade sacks that I think was another reason why he got drafted in the top five. That was something he did really, really well his last year in college. And that was something Mahomes did really, really well in college. So it's one of those things that he has an elite trait in that standpoint. And so the question becomes, does Alec Pierce next to Michael Pittman, does he take a step? Do we see a lot of Jelani Woods and Mo Ali Cox in 12 personnel looks having heavier sets to have blockers in the run game, but also be viable pass catchers. So a lot of athleticism and talent on this offense, we just got to see it all come together. And that's something that Steichen is kind of needing the spearhead and prove why he got the head coaching position. Yeah. I'm not too familiar with Steichen's play calling tendencies or scheme by any means, but I, I do think he's going to have to get the most out of that group. I'm just not super high on them at all. I know you like Alec Pierce. That was your your fantasy guy, um, fantasy football guy. What was it, two years ago? No, last no, year. No, it was last, last year. year. He, wins, yeah. he wins a lot of 50-50 balls. Yeah. He's not a guy that's going to get huge separation, but that that's somebody that could be great in a situation with Richardson. If you're you're down the field one-on-one and you got to go make a 50-50 jump ball, that's the guy you want to have. Right, he had a he had another high relative athletic score as well. So, good physical receiver. Uh, on defense, it's kind of the same thing to me. They obviously have stars like uh, DeForest Buckner, Shaquille Leonard, who's supposed to be able to play, or I think he's playing Week One this year. Yeah. And then after that, a lot of young guys, right? I mean, they have Kenny Moore, who who's a really good nickel corner. I think he's pretty underrated. Uh, Quiddy Pay, they drafted a couple years ago out of Michigan, I believe. He hasn't really taken the step as an edge rusher yet. He's solid, though. I mean, he's racked yeah. up, I think, about like five sacks each year around there. But yeah, and he, they also drafted a ton of talent on defense this year. They, uh, by my draft board, I think I had them having the best draft overall in terms of value. They drafted guys like uh, Juju Brents, Julius Brents. He was my, I think he was my 15th overall play i was super high on him corner uh he's projected to start on our lads they uh they drafted i did a miwa adabore as well i a guy i in the fourth round i had him super high yeah uh, they, they brought in a lot darius rush another corner they brought in a lot of talent on that defensive end and my big question for the defense is how much are those young players going to have to play early on defense because 
they don't really have the depth that like this depth of stars or just role players on defense as a whole. Well, you are. And like we talked about on offense where they have these big athletic guys all over the place. You can find them at tight end, wide receiver, quarterback. It's the same thing on defense. When you look at the the draft class that they had, it had the highest, I believe, relative athletic score as a whole. Mm -hmm. Like Indianapolis went out and said, we're going to get athletes because we have coaches in the building. They trust Shane Steichen with the offense and they trust Gus Bradley with the defense. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. Outside of Buckner and Leonard, they don't have a lot of star power. And that definitely concerns me. But like you said, if Brents hits the ground running and he looks really, really good and you have Kenny Moore in the slot, all of a sudden that secondary doesn't look all that bad. But they give off boom and bust vibes. And what I mean by that is I I feel like they're going to make big plays on both sides of the ball, but then they're going to give up those big plays. And that's just because they have a lot of inexperience. Like we talked about, they have all this athleticism, but it's also very young and inexperienced. So there's going to be mistakes with that. Yeah, I just looked it up. Uh, like you said, Richardson had a 10.0 Raw score, uh, best ever for a QB. Julius Brintz had a 9.99, so mm-hmm. pretty good there. And Adebore also had a 9.8, I believe. So super good athletes in this draft, and they, they definitely added a lot of talent. It's just, to me, they're a lot like the Texans. This is a team that has started the rebuild. And I think how good they can be this season is really based upon how quickly – Richardson can come along and how like how he meshes with Steichen and how Steichen can get the most out of him this year. I, I have no issue with them in the future. I think they're going to be a really good head coach quarterback tandem two, three, four years from now. It's just how good can they be this year, I think, is what separates them from being another kind of like bottom five, bottom 10 team to me to being a team that could could be second in the division, something like similar to the Texans like we were talking about. Absolutely. And there's obviously been a few draft classes over the past five, 10 years where they can they can completely change a season, take take the floor and raise it. We saw with it with this, Seattle last uh, last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we could see a jump like that if Richardson hits the ground running and he looks like Cam is rookie year. This is a team that maybe could win seven to eight games, but I really see that ceiling around six to seven. I think they're going to show a lot of promise. And like I said, it's going to come with those big plays. Like they're going to show a lot of good things. And that's what's going to be frustrating for, I think, Indianapolis fans is they're going to also see a lot of bad plays given up or happen because Anthony Richardson really hasn't fully developed yet. And so it's, I think it's all about looking towards the future from this year. And if you can see more good than bad, then that's, that's, that's what you want to take away from 2023. Absolutely. That's a win for them. I don't think that they're going to be competitive this year, but all about the future with them and the Texans. And then another team that they brought in a new QB kind of, but they didn't bring in a head coach. They, they did bring in a new OC and Tim Kelly. New OC. That's true. So new QB with a little asterisk, new OC. Uh, so Tennessee Titans, we're going to be seeing them in week 12. And this is going to be the last rookie QB taken with a top 32 pick. Uh, you know, the Dolphins. I see what you obviously. did there. Yeah, they forfeited their pick. And Levis was the first pick of the second round, but... In another draft, he would have been the last pick in the first round if he was the 32nd pick. So the last early... We don't need any Lamar comps. We don't don't need any of that. He's not Lamar. Absolutely not. But I don't think we're going to be seeing him in week 12 this year. But they did bring in an early rookie QB to fit with the theme of this uh, division. 
you bring in Tim Kelly, like we alluded to, they do also have a new play caller. He was the Houston, uh, Houston Texans offensive coordinator from 2019 to 2021. He replaces Todd Downing last year, who was abysmal. Uh, I consider some of the play calling numbers I've uh, kind of built with some of my uh, coaching models. And when, when you think about that, they, they upgraded the play caller, they bring in Skaronsky and an offensive line. That's abysmal. You go out, you sign Andre Dillard and Deandre Hopkins. You have Burks going in the year two. While there's still a lot of holes on the offensive line, I feel a lot more confident in this offensive group compared to last year's. And oh, yeah, for sure. And so with that, I, I I feel very confident about Tannehill. Now I can't say the same about Willis and Levis, but I think if Tannehill can start most of the year, you can develop those guys to be quarterbacks of the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love the Hopkins addition to the skill room or the skill position room, rather, they kind of had to need him or they needed to have him rather. I can't speak, but uh, like outside of Hopkins and Traylon Burks, who I'm also pretty high on, like who, who was there? It was uh, Westbrook Akine. I think Kyle Phillips was a rookie last year as well. This they brought was a guy in uh, Oconcro, right? Or do they already uh, have him? He was, a rookie, he was a, a rookie last year as well. Chingo okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. From Maryland, I believe. And but, so he's uh, he's developing with Burke, so that's that's a plus. Right. But they really needed to bring in Hopkins if they want to be competitive, because outside of that, it was just spam Derrick Henry again until the wheels fall off. And Henry's not getting any younger now. He still looked really good last year, but how often can you bank on that, right? Which is why they went out and added uh, Ty J Spears in the draft this year. That who he was my really favorite at Tulane. My favorite overall player in the draft, Ty J Spears, outside of the Bama guys, but. Yeah, I, I'm super high on him this year. It's a lot of high praise, but I heard it from several different people. And so this is me just quoting it, is that he gave off Jamal Charles vibes in terms of his explosion. Mm -hmm. The biggest question mark with him is his health and kind of kind of some of the cartilage that's built around his knees with, I think he's had a couple of what, ACL tears? Uh, two, yes. So it's it's one of those things that's does he have like a Todd Gurley thing where it's like he has a couple years, but then you get arthritis in your knee and it's kind of over. So we'll, we'll definitely have to monitor that. But I think that's a great backup option, especially when, when you said Henry is getting older. He's not getting any younger. So going back to the offensive line, that'll be paving the way for this run game. You bring in a backup tackle from the Eagles to be your starting left tackle, and you draft Skaronsky to be the left guard. So the left side seems to be pretty anchored in, but the rest of the offensive line doesn't have a ton of juice and you still need to kind of add more pieces moving forward. This isn't a finished group by any means. What I'm curious and though, that I'm going to say they lost Nate Davis to free agency as well to the Chicago bears, former Charlotte player. So we always have to mention him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think we'll mention him in the top 10 subtractions. Again, oh, it's yeah. like one of those things where it's when you have so many shuffling pieces on the offensive line and that's not like a steady group for a Mike Vrabel led team, which is weird. He seems to be a guy that would more emphasize the trenches. But at this point in his tenure, the offensive line just isn't what it was at the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, well, the, the whole thing with Vrabel teams is he, he seems to get the most out of them and have them playing better. I think he's going to have to do that again this year, especially with the defense. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see how him and Bowen kind of design this defense. You have a D-line that already featured Jeffrey Simmons, Harold Landry, and Denico Autry. 
And this free agency, they had Arden Key from their division rival, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then Aziz Al-Shahir from the San Francisco 49ers in free agency. So you can get after the quarterback and stop the run with four pass rushers and keep your guys mostly fresh throughout a game. This could be a defense that gets them into a lot of kind of grinded out situations where they're good at winning. Yeah, I think this defense is going to be surprising to some people. I think they're going to be a really good unit. The only question I have with the defense is that this seems to be one of the most injured units every year. Like, it, it just seems like, I know Harold Landry missed a lot of time one year. Then Bud Dupree, obviously he's not with the team anymore, but he, I believe he missed a full season. Caleb yep. Fairley is missing time. It's just a lot of uh, important players, players they pay a lot of money to or a draft high, just seem to catch the injury bug. And it's just really unfortunate. But Vrabel always gets the most out of them. And hopefully they can be a more complete unit this year. And it'd be, it'll be really interesting to see how much you can get out of a fully healthy group as opposed to a battered group. Yeah, we'll see if they can kind of swing the other way and kind of get some injury luck rather than dealing with the injury bug. But at the end of the day, I don't like the state of their offensive line with everybody healthy. And I don't feel confident in either Willis or Levis. If Tannehill would have missed some time, like he did last year due to injuries, they just don't have a lot of pocket awareness at this point in their careers. And they tend to hold on to the ball too long. And when you hold on to the ball too long at the NFL level, bad things tend to happen unless you're, you're Patrick Mahomes. So, Pair that with a bad offensive line, and this could be a long year for the offensive unit that is constantly relying on the defense to bail them out. I think Lev or Willis rather has looked uh, a lot better this preseason than he did last year overall. So, and he's been in the league for a year, so obviously he's going to make take steps in advance. But I agree. If Tannehill were to miss time, I'm not like overly confident in either Malik Willis or Will Levis, and that's kind of a question as well. Obviously, this current GM didn't draft Willis, I believe. I believe that was the former GM. And this year, they spend a top 32 pick on Will Levis. So the future is kind of an interesting question for the Titans. They've kind of had a soft rebuild over the past couple years where they kind of stay competitive. They still have the – as long as Henry and Tannehill are healthy, I think they're going to be competitive on offense. And Vrabel will always have the defense competitive. But they've brought in QBs the past two years. They start adding to the receiver room and the offensive line, two important positions. I think this team has the foundations in place to start a kind of a slow rebuild. But they also want to stay competitive, which is, I I can't blame them for that. Like I said, Vrabel always has them playing well. He's had this team reach the one seat in the past. I mean, two years ago, I two mean, years ago took advantage of playing in the AFC South and he still has that advantage on his side. So that that's definitely going to play a factor. Right. Uh, they ended up losing to the Bengals, I believe that year, but yep. they, they stacked them like eight or nine yeah. times though, that game. Like, oh, I mean, they, the defensive they, they were line battering. Yeah. They were battering Joe Burrow that game, but it just didn't work out for him. So it'll be interesting to see what the Titans can do this year. I just don't think they're going to be able to surpass the last team in the division, those being the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is the only team that didn't draft a rookie QB early in this division. They've got their franchise guy in Trevor Lawrence, and this is going to be the last team in the division we play. We actually play them on New Year's Eve on, I was going to say January 31st, December 31st, week 17, yep. in a matchup of the last two expansion teams to the NFL. Uh, we've had some good matchups with the Jags over Yes, sir. 95. 
And we've had really good matchups with some really good matchups with the Jags over the past couple or not couple past few matchups. We had the monsoon bowl, which I believe was Cam's first win. That wow, was the... just taking that from me. I was I was thinking that that was that was coming <laughs> oh, right off I'm, my tongue. I, yeah. But no, you're good. You're good. That, <laughs> that, that was a good good call from memory. Yeah, that was, that's a classic. I think it was a ten to nine game or something crazy. It was like, or like eleven to ten. Um, because yeah. Greg Olson got like a two point conversion. The two point conversion. The, the only Greg Olson fade route ever was uh, that game, and then the McCaffrey game. Mm-hmm. Uh, was DJ it? Chark also Four went off that ago. game. He did go off that game. But McCaffrey had the, I believe he had like the 80 yard just burner, just a hole opened up. And After flipping into the end zone, like in yeah, the first quarter. That was the big one was the flip, I remember. And then uh, we had a backup running back. Uh, Reggie Bonifant came in and had like a 50 yard touchdown too. So we just ran all over him that game. But hopefully we get another good matchup with the Jags. That's my point. So back in 96, and a lot of people may not know this, but the Panthers were in the NFC Championship game and the Jaguars were in the AFC Championship game under Tom Coughlin. So it would be cool to at some point maybe see these two expansion teams play each other in the Super Bowl. Maybe that comes sooner or later now that we both kind of have our franchise guys. And what I'm hoping is that the Panthers can lock in a playoff berth by Christmas. So we'll just be looking forward to a good game against the Jacksonville Jaguars to kind of kick off the new year. Last time, and I, I keep keep referencing uh, previous things, but Peterson in year two of his system with a quarterback on a rookie deal back in Philadelphia, the, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl and Carson Wentz, I think, finished top three in MVP voting. So He would have when, been the MVP that year had he not gotten hurt. Had he not torn his ACL, he's winning the MVP. That, that team looked phenomenal. And I see similar things as Doug Peterson is kind of rebranding the Jacksonville Jaguars after that awful Urban Meyer year. So with that considered, I think Lawrence elevates this team into a dark horse team that could come out of the AFC while being considered one of the best quarterbacks this season. I I really think that is the next step for this Jaguars team. I don't, I don't see them regressing. I see them taking a step and going, no, we were that team to be reckoned with now, kind of like the Bengals have over the past couple of years. I agree with you. I uh, It's not in my takes or anything, but I think the Jags could maybe win the number one seed in the AFC. I think they're just going to be super potent. They play a bad division. They play our division, which is also a bad division. And if Lawrence takes the leap, I think the sky's the limit. The only thing that I think can hinder them on offense is the offensive line taking that hit with Cam Robinson being suspended for the first six games of the season. But they did try to mitigate this. They drafted Anton Harrison in the first round. They're going to kick Walker a little over to be their left tackle. So hopefully they can kind of hold up until Robinson gets back. And then they have a rookie first-round draft pick on the O-line. So once he's back, they can just put him somewhere and have him play wherever he's best. Yeah, no, I think Anton Harrison definitely stays at the right tackle position. He's going to feel very comfortable there. And it's going to be great when you can slide Walker Little, who was a second-round pick back in 2021, inside. And so now you have three guys that you trust on that offensive line. And if you're healthy down the stretch, this offensive line should keep Trevor Lawrence up in the pocket. Now, as Panther fans, I've heard it over and over again this offseason. DJ Moore is comparable to the Bills adding Stephon Diggs and the Eagles adding A.J. Brown. 
especially with Fields going the year three. Just a lot of things are clicking at just the right time, it seems like, in Chicago. But the guy that truly deserves that comparison isn't DJ Moore from an analytics standpoint. It should be Calvin Ridley. And that's who the Jacksonville Jaguars added. They they traded a mid-round pick last year. They got his rights from Atlanta. He got cleared the play. And by all indication, he looks like he's the same exact player he was two years ago. And if that's the case... The Jaguars added a true needle mover on offense, and that's only going to help things open up for the rest of the offense. Christian Kirk looked good last year. That'll make him look probably even better because he'll be playing against the number two corner. And then you'll have Evan Ingram with his speed, Travis Etienne, Tanks Bigsby. Like The list goes on and on about how many guys they have on this offense. I feel like it's about to go nuclear. Absolutely. It's all about sliding the guys one spot down, right? So Zay Jones had a pretty good year as receiver two last year. Kirk obviously had a good year as receiver one. They bring in Ridley. Now Kirk, like you said, is going against the second best corner. Zay Jones is going against the third best defender, like the nickel, or he has a safety on him maybe. Evan Ingram is stretching the field with the speed horizontally, like uh, Doug Peterson likes to do with those slant and drag routes. It's all about just making the offense more dynamic. And if Ridley is who we saw two years ago, or I believe it was – three years ago when he was an all was it pro 2021 or uh, I think it was 2020, the second team all pro year, but reg- you might be right. Pro. He was incredible. One of the better route runners in the league. If he can be a semblance of that guy, the offense, like you said, is going to go nuclear. It's going to go berserk. It might be one of the best three to five offenses in the league. My, my big concern or not big, but more so concern is with the defense. They spent four first-round picks on that defense since 2019. All mm-hmm. of them are among the front seven. They added Josh Allen, the edge rusher, not the quarterback, obviously. Last year, Trayvon Walker, the edge rusher. They had uh, Devin Lloyd as well, the inside yep. linebacker, even though he rushed the passer a lot at Utah. And then way back, they added Kalevon Chase on another edge rusher. Those guys are going to need to play, like step up and live up to their pedigree. Uh, Walker, especially being the first overall pick and another guy, another guy that looked really good, but I think needs to step up if this defense was to take the next step is Tyson Campbell. He was a really good corner last year, but I think he needs to not take a leap, but take just another step up and be a true corner one, a true lockdown corner. Having that and having good pass rushers is what this defense needs. You you need a bend, don't break unit and you you didn't really add anyone on defense this past offseason, and it wasn't a particularly great unit last year. So that's exactly like to your point, you need your top draft picks to actually play to the level that they were drafted at. You need Trayvon Walker or Chase on to step up on that defensive line next to Josh Allen. Like you need to get after the quarterback because you don't have Arden Key. You don't have the Calais Campbell kind of defensive lead line that you had back in 2017. You need guys that you drafted to step up and supplant that kind of role and that we just haven't seen that. And at the next level, it's the same thing. Devin Lloyd, Chad Muma, do one of those guys step up and kind of take the next step. But I, it's 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 a lot of questions I have. I'm, I'm curious if Mike Caldwell, their defensive coordinator, can get these guys playing complementary football. Because at the end of the day, you just need an average unit. This isn't something where it needs to be lights out like Tennessee Titans where you have to bail your offense out. Your offense is going to be clicking and firing on all cylinders. You just need to not throw the game away. That's the biggest thing that's going to be asked of this unit. For sure. This isn't the uh, this isn't the Saxonville team of 2017 like you're alluding to. 
They just need to be manageable. need to be an average unit. And then from there, the offense can take them to a deep playoff run. I think the main focus on the Jags this year is going to be how good this team can be. Last year, we saw them really stink it up in the first half of a playoff game. But then they came back. They had a great second half versus the Chargers, and they won a playoff game. Then they were leading the Chiefs in the fourth quarter in by that 10. divisional round. Was by, it 10? Uh, yeah, maybe it was 10. I can't, I don't quite remember the score. I knew they had a 10 point lead at some point, but I don't know if that was the lead going into the fourth. Yeah. Mahomes did uh, twist his ankle that game. So there, there might've been a reason they had a lead there, but regardless, they were winning against the chiefs who had won a super bowl a few years ago, been to super bowl and eventually would win this past super bowl in the fourth quarter of a playoff game with the key additions that they made to their uh, offense, Ridley, Anton Harrison, and the presumption that Trevor Lawrence is going to take another leap, which is something we'll talk about later. This team should be able to compete with the big dogs. Like I said, I think this team could be a sneaky number one seed in the AFC. And this should be a team that's able to make a deep playoff run, maybe get to that final four and beyond to the Super Bowl. Absolutely. And that wraps it up for the four teams that we were previewing for the AFC South, which means it's time to go over the top 10 additions. At number one, we have Shane Steichen, who we saw introduce Justin Herbert to the world, really kind of take Jalen Hurts' game to the next level. And so does he do the same thing with Anthony Richardson? And if he does, like the Colts could be a serious team to compete with over the next couple of years because exactly like we said, their team is full of elite athletic playmakers. And if you're able to get the most out of your guys, Shane Steichen will be considered one of the best head coaches in the league very soon. And at number two is another head coach in the division, D'Amico Ryans. And I absolutely love D'Amico Ryans. Where I think he went wrong is he he felt like Will Anderson offered so much value that it, it was worth mortgaging the house. And I just don't know if it was worth mortgaging the house. So that decision, I think, may come back to bite him in future years. I do think this team's going to be very competitive. They're going to play a lot better than they did last year. And there's going to be a lot of optimism in Houston moving forward because of that. So top two guys to kick it off, head coaches. At number three, though, we have a quarterback. Yeah, it's uh, it's D'Amico Ryan's quarterback and C.J. Stroud. I mean, he's the second overall pick in the draft. Really good career at Ohio State. He's got to be the guy that takes the Texans and makes them competitive again. They have, uh, like like we were talking about back in the Texans section, they have good foundational pieces on offense and defense. Now Stroud needs to play the system and elevate those players to help re- help have this offense be competitive, something we haven't seen in Houston in uh, quite a few years. Then at number four, the QB that went right after him, Anthony Richardson. He was the, the, he was the fourth overall pick. I almost said yeah. third, but I forgot. Will Anderson <laughs> went three, and up. then yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, Richardson, QB, went right after Stroud. Uh, he's going to have to take this Colts offense to the next level. And he's a bit different. He isn't the uh, kind of the guy that sits back and picks you apart in the system. He's the elite athlete kind of guy. And Steichen's the perfect guy to unlock him. So we had two head coaches and now the two quarterbacks. Obviously, those are the most important additions to the division. And at number five, we have a guy that was technically added last season, but he's playing his first snap since 2021 and hopefully his first full season since 2020, Calvin Ridley. 
He's one of those guys that if he can take the Jags offense to the next level, it could turn Trevor Lawrence into an MVP candidate, which could be huge for a playoff and Super Bowl push. At number six, we have another wide receiver that obviously has a lot of accolades to his name. is a big-name guy in DeAndre Hopkins. I think he's going to provide a lot of veteran presence in that Tennessee offense and a reliable guy that Ryan Tannehill or one of those backup quarterbacks can throw to throughout the season. So two head coaches, two QBs, two wide receiver ones. We're going to break the mold a little bit now with number seven being Will Anderson Jr., the number three overall draft pick being directly after C.J. Stroud. He should be the corner, like the cornerstone, the foundation piece on that defense. There's just there's not much more to say about him. He's really good. He doesn't have a weakness. He's just he's the guy. And D'Amico Renz is going to need him to be the guy on defense, just like he needs Stroud to be the guy on offense. And then at number eight, somebody that uh, is going to be blocking Will Anderson in the future, Anton Harrison, the Jags first round pick. Because Cam Robinson is suspended, they're going to need Harrison to step up and play big minutes those first six games. Obviously, that might translate to the rest of the season, but they're going to need him to be that guy the first six weeks in order to keep Lawrence upright and to keep that offense humming. And I think his uh, physicality and his strength is going to allow him to do that for him. At number nine, we're following kind of like a similar pattern here again. We have Peter Skaronsky, who a lot of film analysts and draft analysts thought he was the best offensive line prospect coming out of this draft. And he was the third guy off the board. You had Paris Johnson to Arizona. You had Darnell Wright to Chicago. And then the Titans were able to get Skaronsky out of Northwestern. So I think he's going to be a huge addition. He's going to start in their interior at like left guard. The goal, I would assume, in the next couple of years is eventually he takes a step and he would play left tackle. And at number 10, we have the Titans left tackle, Andre Dillard. Sometimes when you have a really, really good group with a lot of depth, some players just don't see the field. And I think that was the case with Andre Dillard in Philly. He wasn't necessarily a bad offensive tackle, but I don't think he's this elite, great mover of sorts. And that's why he's at number 10 on this list. I think he's a solid addition. He'll be a solid starter for a team that needs O-line help. So they added a lot of uh, important O-linemen to this division this past offseason. And then looking at our top 10 subtractions or losses to the division, Jawan Taylor, the former right tackle of the Jags, he's now with the Chiefs, he's probably the biggest loss in my opinion. He's the guy that anchored that Jags line for quite a few years after being drafted out of Florida. And now he's going to go protect Patrick Mahomes on the, the dynamic Chiefs offense where you don't it doesn't really matter if you're left or right tackle because of Mahomes' movement so much. You just need to be a good tackle, and that's exactly what he is. And then the second loss to the division is going to be Stephon Gilmore, somebody that the Panthers fans know pretty well. Uh, he ended up on the Colts last year, and then he was traded to the Cowboys this past offseason. He's going to really help that Cowboys secondary, which I'm really high on. He's going to help Trayvon Diggs maybe not have the number one assignment all the time. And at the he's still he's getting up there in age, but he's still pretty good. He had a good year last year. So he's just going to help that Cowboys defense be even more deadly and generate even more turnovers. Absolutely. He's one of the smarter players in the league. And you just hope he doesn't lose a step because he's so fun to watch. And number three, we have a guy the Cowboys also traded for and Brandon Cooks. So they go out. I think they traded a six round pick to the Texans. They were really just eating his cap, our salary cap hit. 
and they get a solid number two option behind CD Lamb. And I think that's going to help Dak in this offense. And that was a good addition. And it's a huge subtraction from that Texans offense. So at number four, we have Arden Key. We already talked about it. This this Jags defense isn't what we remember in 2017. They have done done some things to help improve it. But when you lose a guy like Arden Key, who was a good interior presence, you need more guys to now step up. And so that's that's kind of the big question in Jacksonville. And that's why we have Arden Key as the fourth biggest loss. The next loss was also a defender with Bobby Okereke. He was with the Colts. He's now with the Giants. This is a, more of an anecdotal pick because I just came off watching the the Panthers and Giants preseason game. Okereke was tearing it up, and he was a tackling machine with the Colts. I think he's going to be a really good middle linebacker for the Giants this year, just racking up tackles, stopping the run. He had a couple of TFLs against our first-team O-line in that preseason game. And I know it's just preseason, but he looks, people, uh, he looks people like people need to stop deal. underrating the giants. Like they added some oh, yeah. decent pieces and they played well last year. So it's like, they're probably going to get better, which is kind of crazy to think about. Oh, I agree. Plus that defensive line is so nasty. So even <sighs> if he's just average, he's going to be racking up a hundred plus tackles, but I think he'll be better than average. And then an offensive lineman who we talked about earlier, former Charlotte 49er, Nate Davis, has left the Tennessee Titans. He's going to the Bears to help protect fields. He was one of their kind of stalwart starters on that Titans offensive line the past couple of years. That line lost Jack Conklin, Taylor Lewan mm-hmm. is I believe he re- he's either free agent or retired this past year. Davis was kind so, of yeah. a yeah, I think he re- I think he retired. But Davis was kind of he was a kind of guy that was on that O-line for three to four years, just solid staple starter, didn't miss much time. And he's going to be missed now that that O-line is kind of in shambles besides the two guys that they brought in. Yannick Nagakwe, he leaves the Indianapolis Colts, I believe. Yes. At number seven. What, who did he sign with? It wasn't the, was it the Raiders? It was, no, it wasn't it was the, Raiders. the Bears. He's going to the Bears. Bears as that's well. right. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. I knew it was like a dark colored scheme. I, I blanked there for a second. So that's that's much needed for them. I think when we talked about the NFC North, that was one position they didn't really address. Uh, they added some bigger bodies in the middle to kind of shore up the run game, but getting a good pass rusher is huge. Uh, he does leave Indianapolis, and like we talked about, they have a lot of young athletic guys, but to have a veteran presence like that is huge to lose that, especially when you ha- already had that kind of interior uh, veteran in Buckner. At number eight, we have David Long, like you were talking about with Bobby Okokre with, up in New York. He's going to be a solid linebacker down in the Miami Dolph- with the Miami Dolphins. He's going to run around in Vic Fangio's system, and he'll probably rack up over 100 tackles as well. He was a good linebacker for the Titans, and they'll definitely miss the him in their front seven. Not to overrate preseason again, but I've seen him making a couple plays uh, on, you know, people post all the Twitter clips of each play. I saw him making a couple. Uh, at number nine, we have Jordan Akins. He's leaving the Texans, going up to the Browns to form a tight end tandem with David and Joku. He's just a reliable guy, and every Every young QB needs their reliable tight end guy. That's probably why they brought in a tight end at free agency. But he's a guy that can block. He can run short routes and catch the ball and get touchdowns. I know you're a big fan of Jordan Akins, and I think he's going to tear it up with Njoku and the rest of the weapons that the Browns have added this past year. And then to round out our top 10 subtractions to the division, top 10 losses, Robert Woods is leaving the Titans, and he is going to the Texans 
to help C.J. Stroud be his veteran guy. Like I said, every rookie QB needs their tight end, and every rookie QB needs their veteran receiver. For us, it's Adam Thielen. And for the Texans, they're getting a guy in Robert Woods who's he's shifty, he's a good route runner. He's just going to help him. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the additions and the subtractions to the division, kind of seeing how the division shaped out. It's time to get to the take section of our pod. And uh, I guess I'll go first on my first one. I think this division, a lot of people are kind of down on our division, the NFC South. But I think this division, not the NFC South, will be the worst division in football this season. I think, obviously, I'm super high on the Jags. But outside of the Jags, I think every team will be below 500, meaning eight wins or less. I think that's kind of fair. The first two teams are rebuilding. And I see the Titans also not being that wild card level team in the AFC. The AFC is just a gauntlet. And I don't think the Titans are going to be able to kind of break into that that six or seven seed like some other teams will be able to. What's crazy is that the NFC South may field four teams below sub 500, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see what's, do you have any more takes you want to throw out oh, there or? Of course. And this is one that you agreed with. And I think you talked about it a couple months ago when we were just talking. So, ball. When, so when we do, we do some of the script stuff for, for you guys to hear, we'll, we'll write notes out. And when we get to the section, we'll black it out so that the other person isn't aware of what the other person's talking about. And me and Jacob were talking, I believe I was like, yeah, um, I think, I think this guy's going to finish top three in MVP voting. And Jacob's like, that's one of my takes. And I, I, I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to not steal your thunder, but that guy that you think will be a top three MVP candidate, who, who is that guy? That is your new fantasy football QB, Trevor Lawrence. I think just all the, I think the addition of Ridley is being undersold. I don't know if he's going to be the guy that we saw two years ago, who was a perfect route runner, just caught everything. I don't know if he's going to be that. But what he is going to be is a guy that helps everyone else out on the offense. He's going to be a guy that gets open and he will catch the ball. I don't know if he'll do it at an all pro second team level. But even if he's just an above average receiver, that's going to help that offense out so much. And I think the tandem of Lawrence with Peterson, another year in that system, kind of that second year that you were alluding to when you were talking about Wentz back in 2017 in Philly, I think that's only going to help Lawrence. And I think all of this combined, plus I'm super high on the Jags as a whole winning like 12-ish, 13-ish games. I think if they end up being that one seed and he takes another step with Peterson, could see him being a top three MVP candidate or even winning the award. Absolutely. And I know some people will probably hear 12, 13 wins and go, you've lost your mind. But you got to remember, they played 10 out of their 17 games against the AFC South and NFC South. So it's not like they're going up against this tough competition and they really just got to go 500 outside of those 10 games to really like break some of those numbers like you're talking about. So I don't think it's outlandish. I, I, I agree with both of those takes. They're very plausible. Uh, my first one is that the Titans are the only defense in the AFC South that field a top 10 unit. I think this is Rabel sta- uh, like kind of staple is, mm-hmm. is pumping out a defense that can just suffocate an offense. We've seen him stop Mahomes time and time again in the regular season. He's a guy that can sometimes game plan things up that nobody like – Nobody else could design, and that's that's what gives him value in the NFL, and that's the reason why he is the Titans head coach. So uh, sticking with I, the Titans. Oh, yeah, I no, just wanted to say, I think he's the perfect 
Belichick tree disciple in terms of his ability to craft a defense. That's kind of Belichick's big thing. I think Vrabel's the only guy that's followed him that's been able to do that. I know Flores is also a really good defensive play caller, but I think Vrabel's ability to kind of mold the defense for each game, I think that uh, is something that's been underrated during his tenure with the Titans. Well, and I think the difference is, is that Vrabel played defense for Belichick. When when you live this system, it's a little bit different than just coaching this system. And so you you saw what he did with in Houston, what got him the job with the Tennessee Titans. And going along with that, the one thing that is a little bit of concern is, does Ryan Tannehill stay healthy all 17 games? I don't, I don't think he does. I think he's getting older. I don't like the state of that offensive line. And I think both Willis and Levis end up starting at least one game each this year so a little I crazy could that i could see but that. You, you have these young quarterbacks you want to see what you have you roll them out you give them some playing time some experience to see what you have going into next year my last and final take and i've alluded to this because i was already praising him earlier and i've said a lot of great things about the jags offense but i think calvin ridley will finish as a top eight wide receiver i think this is a guy that could rack up 90 receptions 1400 yards eight to ten touchdowns like he is going to be a difference maker i think people are underrating that tremendously and he's still young he's had time off from football but everything we've heard from training camp this guy still got it and so we'll see but those, those are our perfect takes. We're going to start with the division hierarchy. And I think we both, if you guys haven't picked up on, have the Jags at number one. Just briefly before I go into my Jags thing, to expound upon the Ridley take, we saw what Peterson was able to do with Christian Kirk and Zay Jones last year. Imagine what he can do with Ridley. And I think that's where we get the top eight receiver kind of discourse that you're having here. I don't think it's outlandish at all that he could end up there. And that's he a could be top five. Like, like it's one of those things that like there is that ceiling there because you do have a transcendent young quarterback throwing him the ball. It's like Absolutely. the Jamar Chase situation with Joe Burrow, Stephon Diggs with Josh Allen. When you when you have a, a great quarterback thrown to a great wide receiver, it's it gets nuclear. Absolutely, and that could be a big reason why the Jags win the most games and they're the best team in the division even if it's not they're still the clear best team here right i mean lawrence is one of the during the second half of the year last year especially i think lawrence was one of the three to five best qbs in the league he was lights out he he didn't have those kind of dumb like plays where he should have thrown it away but he tried to throw it out of the back of the end zone and it got picked he didn't really have a lot of those the second half of the year and with the additions of Ridley and Anton Harrison to help uh, keep that O-line stable at the very least until Cam Robinson returns, I think the offense is going to continue to improve. For me, like we talked about earlier, the only question is, can those high pedigree defensive players step up? And that's really the only question I have about the Jags. Other than that, I think they're golden. It really is about the defense. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is becoming a star before our very eyes. Uh, he's surrounded by, like, we're going to list it off again, Ridley, Kirk, Engram, ETN, Bigsby, just loaded with talent in a stacked AFC. So you you have the ammunition to go toe-to-toe with some of the heavyweights, and you're playing in the AFC South, which should only help you accumulate 10-plus wins 
in this that conference, which is going to help you with seating, which is going to help you down the stretch. And like we talked about, they get Cam Robinson after six weeks. So him not having any playing time, maybe he's fresh come the postseason. It's stuff like that that may help you later in the season down the stretch where you might have a team like the Chiefs or the Bills or the Ravens kind of get hurt down the stretch and they aren't as good. I think an underrated thing that you said about the Jags went like win total estimation maybe is that they're playing in the AFC South, right? This yep. division, we think it's going to be bad. Obviously, they this is the NFL. We never know. But this division is probably the worst of the four AFC teams. So teams like the Bills have to go up against the Jets, the Dolphins, the Patriots. The Bengals have to go up against the Ravens, the Steelers, the Browns. And then the Chiefs have to go up against the Chargers. Uh, we both are higher on the Broncos this year. The Raiders added co- at least competent pieces. But the Jags have to go against two rookie QBs and Mike Vrabel's team. And I'm never going to be low on Mike Vrabel, kind of going into the second team. I have the Titans in You can never count them out. You can never count them out. I have the Titans second just because I trust Mike Mike Vrabel. But like you're saying, the AFC South is kind of a, a good division to win. It is. And looking at the Titans, they're a well-coached, scrappy team. I I don't think that's enough for a playoff berth, but I expect their defense to keep them in a lot of scoring close games, low-scoring close games, which should put a little less pressure on the offense, which doesn't look amazing, but it's it's definitely improved from last year, which that's, that's a big plus you can take away going into this year. Absolutely. Plus, they're bringing back the Oilers uniforms, which... Even if they don't win a lot of games, that's a win overall to me. Those have to be the best uniforms in the NFL, and I can't wait to see them. You know Derrick Henry's just going to run for 200 yards on the Texans in that – it's it's like week 15 game or something that they're wearing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, they're just going to look so good. And so we both have the Jags first and the Titans second. I think this is where we differ. Mm -hmm. I – yeah, I think we do differ – I haven't changed my uh, take like we talked about before. Oh, okay, okay, okay. With these two teams, the Colts and the Texans, I think the combination of Steichen and Richardson is going to be better overall than the combination of Slowick and Stroud. And because of that, and because they have some like really good veteran players and guys like DeForest Buckner, Shaq Leonard, uh, and even Quentin Nelson, who he had a down year to his standards last year, but if he, he bounces does. back, he's instantly the best left guard in the league. If he if he plays to what he's capable of, having those kind of players and having a head coach rookie QB combo that I trust more, I think that's going to vault them over the Texans, who are definitely I think deeper in terms of role players, but I just don't trust the new guys as much as I trust the Colts new guys. Absolutely. And me having the Texans at third overall, I, I, they could easily finish fourth. They could, they could finish second. They're a meh team overall. They don't have a lot of holes across this roster. And I think that's really the biggest difference between them and the Colts is I think there are some glaring holes on the Colts roster, especially when you look on the right side of the offensive line, some, some of the defensive pieces they have, especially in the back end. And I think D'Amico Ryans is one of the better hires this offseason, even if Steichen and Richardson is a better quarterback coach pairing than Slowick and Stroud. So 
I, I think it comes down to Will Anderson, you invest a lot in. If he gets after the quarterback, this defense could really catch fire and surprise a few teams, and they could they could win seven or eight games, which then that helps that pick that they're sending to Arizona not maybe be a top five pick, which would be huge. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. You want to get at close to being outside of that top 10 as you can um, while you're building and growing. Absolutely. And then – yeah, you made a lot of good points with the Texans. Like I said, I just trust the Steichen-Richardson combo more. But the Texans could easily be second or they could be fourth. But for me, I just have the Colts ahead of them right now. Although the, the Jonathan Taylor news doesn't help. I almost wavered, but I'm staying with it. So the big thing with the Colts, and I, I said it earlier, is – when it comes to big plays, this team is going to make them, I think, on both sides of the ball. They, they are going to be a fun team to watch when it comes to watching highlights. My biggest thing is, is you run about, what is it, like 70, 80 plays during a game. And when you're running those plays, it is more important at times to be just successfully consistent than just big play explosion. And what I mean by that is that if you can constantly just keep getting yards uh, and keep moving the chains, which that's what I feel about the Texans offense. I feel like that is exactly how Stroud is going to operate. He's going to operate in structure. There's going to be minimal like consequences, minimum failures, minimum turnovers compared to what we're going to see with Richardson. I think we're going to have a lot of oopsie mistakes like we saw in that opening where it's he tries to force something that isn't there and he makes a bad situation worse. And so that's what it comes down to. I, I think that the Colts are more talented. I think that they're going to make more mistakes and not be as successful down in and down out as the Texans. Well, let me offer you this point as my last point on the Colts. I think Richardson's athletic ability can kind of help them avoid some of those oops moments and just his ability to pick up uh, yards with his legs, scramble out of the pocket. His pocket feels already tremendous. So being able to move outside of the pocket in the NFL is going to be huge for him. I think his ability like on third and five ish, maybe third and seven to kind of do what Cam did and pick up those third downs and keep the chains moving. I don't know if Stroud is capable of that when all breaks down to be able to kind of pick up the yards like Richardson's going to be able to that would that would oh, just be yeah. my final point with the offenses there I, I think Richardson is going to superman a lot more moments than Stroud ever will I just think Stroud is going to be the guy that knows when to chuck it down when to throw it out of bounds and Richardson's just going to sometimes want to keep the play alive and that's not always the best thing to do that's all so obviously some discrepancies that's what we want to see we want to see some back and forth and what we're going to move on to and talk about now in our next section we're going to be talking about the Panthers, how they performed against the Giants. Definitely some improvements from the first one, but still a lot to grow from what you saw, right? Absolutely. We are a Panthers podcast, so we can't end the pod without talking about them. The Giants game was definitely a lot better uh, with the starters and with the team overall. I mean, we scored points, right? So it has to we be did. better. Nine, what was it, 19 points? It yeah. was 19, yeah, which is a lot better than zero. But uh, – and. Hey, our starting offense score points too. Granted, it was just a field goal, but that's still a lot better than one first down in the first half. And uh, I think the one of the big takeaways is that Bryce is still looking good. I, I don't have really have any concerns with him. He's doing what he can with bad. I don't want to say bad play calling because it's just really boring and bland. He's doing the most with what he can there, doing the most with uh, bad protection from a certain O-lineman. 
and he's able to avoid sacks, make plays. I think the big two plays that people are going to look at are the the one where he avoided the sack, he rolled out to the right and threw like a 45, 50 yard throw to Thielen, and it was just one yard, maybe half a yard out of Thielen's hands. Maybe Crazy a couple. Yeah, it throw. wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't crazy misplaced, and it's exactly where you want to place it. You want to place it on the boundary, and if it's either your wide receiver, or no one gets it. So exactly like you said, crazy play. Absolutely. And then the other one, which uh, I believe it got called back for holding, was the throw to Hurst on the right outside the right numbers, right by the end zone. It was yep. like a twenty-five air yard throw. Hurst went up and got it, but obviously it got called back. For me, like bias aside and all that i've seen what i need to see out of bryce despite the first team offense not scoring points he's done what he's needed to do he has really good pocket feel puts the ball on people that's all i need to see i think the bigger story with the off like the first team offense is the o-line uh Iki Aquanu again didn't have the greatest game yeah, he missed a couple assignments. He gave up a sack to Kayvon Thibodeau. He let Thibodeau run free and hit Bryce on that Hurst throw. Um, I, I don't know if it's kind of a sophomore slump or well, something. Well, it wasn't hit. It was the uh, sack you're talking about, right? Or was well, the, the there's, other there's play two. one? Yeah. He, yeah. he gave up a sack um, when Hold he on. passed Thibodeau off to nobody. And then he also just let Thibodeau run by him and get a, a QB hit on the Hurst throw. That's right, so, the Hurst throw. I, yeah. I, I was obviously yeah, confused by which play you were talking about. Yeah, so I'm not – obviously it's preseason, so I'm not going to freak out over it. But last year, I, don't, I wouldn't say his strength was pass blocking. I would say he was an excellent run blocker. And for what the, the offense asked him to do, which was run block a lot because we were a run-heavy team in the post-rule era of the offense, I think he was really good. But uh, I, I would like to see him – you know, kind of take the leap in pass blocking. He was drafted sixth overall to be that kind of guy on the left side. So hopefully he bounces back from these preseason games and uh, is the icky that we saw last year and kind of kind of locks down that left side, be it run or pass uh, for the offensive line. And then Chandler Zavala was the other story I wanted to talk about on the first team offensive line. He was pretty good at that starting right guard spot. He, uh, he gave up one pressure to i want to say it was leonard williams maybe it was a sean robinson on that uh the drive near where we were at the end zone but other yep. than that i think he had a pretty solid showing and i think i'm not quite sure if the coaches are, are going to name the starter yet but i think he's going to be that guy that starts until austin corbett gets back from his injury last year i think uh i just think he's going to lock it down I, and, yeah no and that would be great to have because You've talked about Brady Christensen being the swing tackle, and that, that would be huge. I think he's much better served in that role uh, than Cam Irving. And Oh, I, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That kind of I depth, think, I think that's huge. Yeah, I think when Corbett comes back, you could even, like you're saying, move Zavala over to the left where he played next to Icky at NC State, and uh, Brady could be that swing tackle maybe later in the year once Corbett is back. And I think the uh, – I think our defensive line depth looked good versus the Giants twos, but uh, our starting D line didn't play. And I think that was a big component of why Daniel Jones of all people was able to shred our secondary. He was, I think he was eight for nine on their first drive. The only uh, completion he didn't have, it was a completion. It's just Von Bell kind of nailed Darren Waller and made him drop the ball. 
he, he, he was did. he was cooking us yeah and darren think, darren waller in about like two minutes play was like it was yeah, like two catches like almost no, it was, 40 it was, yards it, it was, was three catches uh okay. i believe and it would have been four had he not had von bell not been there so hopefully we get to see our starting d line maybe versus the lions but uh it's pretty clear we need our starters to be good this year on that d line and then, absolutely i think the these mental reps are more so for the backups. Yeah. So we want to see what we have in barno you want to see what we have on raekwon williams guys like those yeah. because you want to see who's going to be the next guy up yeah you say raekwon williams which is crazy because he had a really good sack on tyrod taylor it, it was just a crazy play and with the release of marquan mccall we could see a guy like raekwon williams being our starting nose tackle you never know but the big takeaway, other than the O-line, Bryce, and the defense, really, really just the O-line, Bryce. I'm not concerned about the defense. But the big takeaway is that when Thomas Brown was calling plays in the second half, I felt like the plays that he was calling, they they were still vanilla, but they were more dynamic, I think. I think there were more like crossers, uh, more ways to get receivers open. And I think that that's going to be a theme going forward where – Yesterday on Monday, Reich mentioned in his presser that the long-term goal is to have Thomas Brown be our play caller. Now, I'm not sure when that would happen. I think that maybe after the bye, it could happen. So after uh, when's our week seven's our bye. So like maybe yeah. our seventh game going forward, it could happen. Maybe if we're out of the playoff race, he'll just hand over the reins. But I think that getting him these play calling duties and him like performing well, calling good plays. I think that's a really good sign for Thomas Brown and for the offense moving forward as a whole, because if we come out the gate kind of sputtering those first few weeks, right. Could be like, Hey, this is a guy I trust in Thomas Brown. I'm going to let, I'm going to have you call the plays moving forward. See if we can get a spark there. And I think that's a really good, uh, really good opportunity for him and a really good kind of ace in the hole to have for our offense moving forward. And coming from a McVeigh tree, I'm sure if he does well from a play calling standpoint, he'll be hired soon enough. But for those of you who aren't familiar, Josh McCown, our quarterbacks coach, he was he was interviewed to be the Texans head coach this past offseason. Now, D'Amico Ryans gets the job, but it's one of those things that if Thomas Brown leaves, I feel like Josh McCown would be our next offensive coordinator. And we have some depth there. That's what I'm happy about. Mm -hmm. It's like so many times when you have some great guys in the room, you're afraid that, oh, when they leave, like who's going to take their spot? And I, I have that fear with Evero on the offensive side. I really don't have that fear over the next three or four seasons. Absolutely. Like I'm, I'm content with our coaching staff, especially the offensive side. Uh, and then now the f oh, a few people were down on because like what we've been talking about, we, there's, there's a lot of things to like, oh. we got Zavala on the O-line. We could, we could do some kind of switcheroos. YGM, he, he talks in a presser, how he doesn't like all the kind of negativity surrounding his name, but he really hasn't done anything to back that up. Brandon people Smith, are I'd like this. No, People yeah, are just going to be like Panthers, not just Panthers fans, but football fans in general are always going to find something to be concerned about. It's like, it's just preseason, right? I wouldn't be super concerned about anything, you know? Oh yeah. I'm, I, and he's a, he's a great run fitter and he's probably going to make the 53. It's just one of those things where you, you think you're going to take a step. You, you, you make a comment to the media that you feel like this is the step in your career. And it's just, he hasn't done anything to separate from a guy like Barno or Kobe Jones. And that's a little bit worrisome from a second round pick. Absolutely. And what's crazy about the, the comments you made is that they signed Justin Houston, like 
six hours later. It's just a just rough timing there. But yeah, I, I would say YGM stock is definitely not on the up going into next season. And a guy that I actually had a lot of hope in, I was hoping we'd see a lot of good signs this preseason and training camp because while Andy Dalton's great, you, you do worry about when you have a small quarterback like Bryce Young that you need a good viable backup. And I didn't see that with Matt Corral. Uh, he's got awful pocket awareness. Now, granted, our offensive line hasn't been playing great these past two preseason games, but it's just he, he doesn't show any readiness. And I get it. You're out with a list Frank injury all your your rookie year, so you don't have a lot of like reps. And so there's there's going to take an acclimation period, but he's he's definitely not there to where he could play meaningful snaps if you see Bryce go down. It's going to be Andy Dalton this year, and that that does cause some concern moving forward when we do have such a small uh, starting quarterback. Absolutely. I think Corral came into the worst possible scenario uh, to start an NFL career. He got drafted. Uh, I, I personally think it was kind of leverage in a Baker Mayfield deal that Fitterer wouldn't have to give up as much for Baker. And he ended up giving like a, what, a fifth round pick for him instead of the second yeah, the rounds were rumoring to want. Yeah. So he was kind of leveraged there. Then, like you said, in the uh, preseason, tears his Liz Frank. And he was the he was QB for that preseason as well, because they had that weird fake QB competition between Baker and Darnold. And then they were given PJ Walker all the third team reps. So Corral was barely getting reps in the preseason. Uh, ends up uh, hurting his foot out for the full year, so doesn't get any reps throughout that year. And then it's a new regime, new like new everything. They drafted QB first overall. It's just been a really uh, rough situation to corral, to start Corral's career. So I hopefully he's able to bounce back this week versus Detroit. But like you said, the signs haven't been entirely encouraging the first few preseason games for him. Absolutely not. Now we're going to jump in. We're going to talk about the starters, maybe a couple guys that are like fringe 53. We're going to have a kind of a photo of how we see the 53 man roster shaking up. The deadline is next Tuesday, 29. They get down to that 53. We think Bryce Young is going to be the starter at quarterback. Miles shocker. Sanders will be the. Yeah, I know. It's a big shocker. <laughs> he, he earned that before training camp, rightfully so. Miles Sanders as RB1. We have our three starting receivers. We'll look like Thielen, Chark, and Mingo. Our tight end will be Hayden Hurst. Our starters on the offensive line will be Iki Aquanu, Brady Christensen, Bradley Bozeman, Chandler Zavala, and Taylor Moten. And like what we talked about, Corbett comes back. You're probably going to slot him at right guard. You might slide Zavala over the left guard. And then that leaves Brady Christensen as kind of a backup tackle, which I think would be great if for some reason Moten or Iki were the missed time. And so the defense, who do we have starting on that side? Yeah, so with the departure of Marquand McCall and the emergence of Raquan Williams, I think the D-line's going to look like Shy Tuttle, Raquan Williams in the middle, Derek Brown. Then for our, our edge rushers, our outside backers, we'll have Brian Burns and Justin Houston. We'll have Frankie Louvu, who might be a pro bowler this year. You heard it here first. We have him I think, and – I think uh, he is. Oh yeah, he is. His his stats were very Pro Bowler esque last year, so we'll see this year. But we'll have him and Shaq in the middle. Obviously, have JC and Dante. Hopefully, Dante is able to go for Week One. I know he rolled his ankle or something in the preseason game. 
if if Keith Taylor were to play that role and we have Jeremy Chin and a, a big nickel situation, I'm honestly okay week one. But yeah, we do need Dante yeah. cleaning, playing meaningful snaps to be a good defense this year. Well, we also brought in uh, Troy Hill, who has experience playing inside and outside as well. So I, I th- I'm happier about our depth now than I was like two days ago on the in the corner room. And then the back end would obviously be Von Bell and Xavier Woods. And then you guys know our specialists. It's Eddie Pinero, Johnny Hecker, and the consummate pro who's been, who's going to be here forever, J.J. Jantz. Now, That's guys that – Yeah, guys, we talked about Corbett. He's kind of uh, sitting where it's not looking like he's going to start the week one. Marquise Haynes on the defensive line, we haven't really talked about him a lot because he's been dealing with an injury, but he's one of those guys to look out for on the edge. He's somebody that – could produce like a Mario Addison did for us in the 2010s and that kind of have that production kind of off the bench would be phenomenal, especially when you have Burns, Houston, young guys in Barno and Johnson that are looking really good. So I, all over this defense, I don't have a lot of concerns. It is going back to your point. It's just shoring up the offensive line and making sure that Bryce has the best options in the passing game to throw to. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think the big thing about the team is going to be the it's the receivers to be honest outside of Thielen who's going to be able to consistently get open for Bryce now I know he's able to put the ball in really tight windows but I think for a rookie QB adjusting to the speed of the NFL it'd be nice to have some guys get open and I think that's why we brought in Thielen and Hurst and Shark and Mingo hopefully some guys are able to get open and provide windows for Bryce when the play breaks down yeah, we're, we're building it by committee. We're trying to give them as many decent pieces around as possible. And we'll see how it works. I think week one, we, we could definitely carve up the Falcons. And we'll probably definitely get a lot more into that next week in the NFC South episode. We saved the best for last. We'll be diving into not only the Carolina Panthers and in an in-depth look. We'll be diving into the rest of the division rivals. Looking at the Saints, the Falcons, the Bucks, And I think that's going to be a lot of fun breaking it down. And that puts us one week closer to the start of the NFL regular season. So I know that has everybody excited. We hope you guys tune in next week. But for now, that's a wrap.